Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by CypherTrace, a MasterCard company. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. It's Zach Seward. You're watching The Hash on Coindesk TV. I am joined by the lovely Jensen Assey, the equally lovely Will Foxley, and the extra lovely Adam B. Levine. We're going to talk about stuff that's going on in the world of crypto. That's what we do here. It's fun. All right, I'm leading us off. We're going to talk about Do Kwan, Terraform Labs founder Do Kwan. was on the run from authorities until recently arrested by the Montenegrin cops not long ago. Do Kwan's attorney is now proposing a $437,000 bail, and they're denying the charges of having falsified travel documents, which is what Do Kwan and one of his colleagues was booked on. So the Do Kwan saga continues in this jurisdiction and in others. Where are we at with the Doquan story, Jen? What are you thinking? What's, what's, what's this about? What's this about? Well, I read this story and I think I f- it's pretty easy to prove if a document is real or not. And so for them to be charged and sitting in jail for using fake travel documents and then for them to say, I haven't committed any crime, I just feel like we keep getting gaslit. Like something happens that's like, you know, a real thing that we can all see the effects from. And then they're like, you know, Actually, it wasn't my fault. I didn't know anything was going on. And now I didn't know that my documents were fake. I also think $437,000 is a very low bail for the alleged crimes that Do Kwan has to face. Uh, But I thought it was interesting. The lawyer suggested that bail and supervision measures be imposed. It felt very SBF-like. They're proposing a scenario where uh, Do Kwan would be in an apartment. He, he would be prohibited from leaving that apartment, but he wouldn't be sitting in jail right now. I thought, like, it's a good one from the SBF playbook. Zach. It's a nice apartment. I got I got a shout out to DL <laughs> News, the news outfit from uh, DeFi Llama. It's really been owning the um, Do in Europe story. And they sort of revealed the uh, the luxurious nature of this apartment that was bought allegedly with ill-gotten gains from Do Kwan escaping the whole Terraform Labs and what was it, TerraGuard Foundation debacle. I forget some of that stuff now, but yep, this continues to play out in real time in the courts and we get to watch it. 
And we don't get to comment upon allegedly concealed hardware wallets and where they may have been concealed, <laughs> Will, because this is a family show, sir. But it's awesome to Adam. Yeah, thanks. Otherwise, Will would have said something uh, pretty yeah. bad. So yeah. I, I, I totally get it. So, <laughs> I mean, I look at this and I have a slightly different take on it, which is that these people are fighting for their lives, right? And there isn't really a consideration that there will be death penalties in any of these cases, even if the worst should happen, you know, and they just lose in every way possible. But the prison sentences, you know, and again, for Doe, you're talking about not just charges in his native home of South Korea, but also in the U.S. This is an existential moment for all of these people, and it's going to last for years. So the expectation on my side remains that they're going to do everything they can to try and avoid that. Because once you wind up in jail, then it kind of doesn't matter whether you get convicted or not, because you're already there. And again, you can go back to those. There was that uh, hilarious video, again, hilarious for those of us not having actually done anything like this, uh, you know, where uh, SBF was being interviewed and uh, Martin Screlly was on there talking about how, you know, prison's not that bad. And, and you know, Doe was on that call as well. And Doe just kind of like, was just kind of like set back a little bit. Uh, and SBF just like, the, his face just like dropped. And then like the screen went dark and then he was just gone because he had dropped off the call. And that, that is the thing. Again, you look around the world today, some of the biggest criminals out there really are the ones running our, you know, <laughs> at least I think of them as criminals, uh, the folks running our monetary system, right? And the folks who are involved with implicit corruption at many, many levels of government. And what you find over and over again is that these people are very rarely go to jail, except for when they have actually lost power to the degree where they can no longer prevent it. And so the ability to stay out of jail is itself a sort of form of exercise of power where you're utilizing the money and the power and the favors that you've stored up while you were doing all the bad stuff you were doing to try and prevent that thing that you're really trying to prevent. Because who wants to go to jail, right? Like that's the ultimate loss of autonomy. It's the ultimate loss of control over your own situation. And it's the ultimate signal that you have failed. And frankly, we need many of these people who have done these terrible things to be convicted on the evidence and to go to jail and to set an example that says that, hey, even if you can scam, scam somebody out of a bunch of money, you know, just by kind of lying to them by omission or explicitly building projects that accomplish that exact purpose, this probably isn't a good idea for you. And maybe you shouldn't do that. That doesn't, that's not about crypto. That's about the system as a whole and about the power implicit to it and all the money in it. But yeah, it's definitely something worth watching. Will? Oh, you guys took away my whole line, my whole segment. Sorry. So I don't know if I got <laughs> Can't talk about hardware wallets on this show. Will, gotcha. <laughs> the only thing I will say about this, and I will hand up to Jen, is the difference in the bail terms that they're requesting versus what SBF actually got. And I think it is like somewhat helpful to like compare SBF and what's happening at Doquan, like two big alleged fraudsters on the run in this bad situation and getting caught up. There's bail terms, right? They both want to live at home in like their parents' basement or their own apartment. $500,000 or so for Doquan is what they're trying to get with. And SBF had $250 million. Of course, that $250 million number turned out to be basically fraudulent. And I don't really understand the math behind that. But it's funny to see the difference. Uh, there's like a multiple here that's quite different. Jen, up to you. Yeah, I was just going to say on the back of Adam's comment, you know, we propped these people up as an industry, Doquan, SBF. I really think that they were operating as if this would never happen to them. This would never be a reality. And maybe in, in some way, shape or form, they really started to believe that they weren't doing anything wrong because they were above the law, you know, hobnobbing with other people who are maybe getting away with similar things. And so Adam, to your point, I think that they are sitting there now and their only defense is to, to say, 
I didn't do this. I didn't do this. Or at least I didn't know. I wasn't aware because that, that's kind of the last resort now. I think, uh, you know, we go back to Brady Dale who wrote the book on SPF. And I think one of the things that he sort of illuminated is the thinking that leads to these terrible, terrible outcomes, right? Uh, at least in SBF's case, according to Brady and his reporting, he sort of had this probabilistic outcome thinking, right? Where maybe if the entire sum of my good deeds at some future date is 500 billion, then hmm, maybe blowing through $8 billion of value is something that could be justified probabilistically, assuming that one day the man cures malaria or something, right? So I think there is some of that animating force here with Doquan as well, right? He wanted to make a stable coin that was free from the constraints of, uh, of censorship risk in the traditional financial system. He wanted to do that by way of this algorithmic system that did not work twice when he was involved in it, and it ultimately ended up collapsing. But I think the idea that is animating these things are big and noble and audacious. But you're right, Jen, that slippery slope toward criminality in these instances is pretty wild to see unfold with big money on the line. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let's change gears. I think Will's got the next one. What do you got? I do. Okay, we're going to Bitcoin mining land. And as disclosure, I do work for a Bitcoin mining company running media for them. Let's talk about Marathon Digital. Marathon Digital is being probed by the SEC for uh, its relationship with the Hardin, Montana Bitcoin mining site. They moved out of that site as of last summer. At the same time, they're actually doing quite well. And we have some new numbers showing their first quarter earnings beat estimates. Their stock is up about 50% over a 52-week average. Basically, on the backs of more transaction fees in Bitcoin right now. So Bitcoin miners are doing better. And then Bitcoin miners rebounding after a really rough winter season. Adam, throw this one down to you. Get your take on it. Yeah, the, the kind of Bitcoin non-currency token moment that's been going on since earlier this year remains a hilarious reason why Bitcoin miners would be becoming profitable because it puts the miners almost directly at odds <laughs> with the motivations that are sort of animating a lot of people on the Bitcoin development side of the table who are seeing what's happening with the blockchain very much as a problem. What is a problem for Bitcoin developers, though, is in fact the saving grace, as far as we can tell, for the miners who are out there who are now seeing, in some cases, the amount of fees that are being paid on a per block basis actually exceed the amount that is awarded you know, by the protocol itself in new tokens, which is how new Bitcoins are introduced uh, into circulation. So it's interesting because these are two really important constituencies. You have one constituency that is driving uh, you know, like the continued development and is right now trying to figure out how they get rid of these tokens built on top of Bitcoin in a way that doesn't undermine other things that they still like, which is a really hard problem that, you know, like, to the extent you squeeze this balloon, you're just going to push the problem somewhere else. And on the other hand, again, you've got these miners who went through a really rough time. A lot of them, you know, went close to bankrupt and some did go bankrupt, uh, you know, and they need this. And it's just interesting to me that that dynamic exists in such a profound way in this moment. What do you think, Jen? Yeah, doesn't it kind of feel, for me, when I read this story, I was like, it feels like we're in the bull market again. Like miners are doing better than expected. Meme coins are pumping. Crazy things are happening. But Will, I think you were right to start off with the regulatory aspect of this. It felt like there was this gloomy, looming, dark cloud when it came to regulation uh, over this report. They say in Q1, they grew their hash rate, they reduced their cost to mine and improved their balance sheet, but then point to this SEC investigation. And so this is the second SEC investigation. I think in November 2021, they were being investigated by the SEC. Now they say that in April, there was another SEC filing. But they admitted to a few things. They said 
that the disclosure controls and procedures were not effective at the reasonable assurance level as of March 31st. I feel like they are preparing for the SEC to come out with some kind of information because there is some kind of discrepancy in their accounting. That's what I kind of took away from some of these disclosures that were in the filing. Will? Yeah, just to fact check myself. So the last SEC probe was about this Hardin Montana site that they've moved out of. And the current one, we don't have a lot of information about. I think that it's important to notice that like Marathon, a lot of these other Bitcoin miners are already public. So anything that's going to go against them, like it's probably not going to be as harsh as some of the stuff we've seen with like Ripple or maybe even Coinbase, even though they are public. Uh, because a lot of those things are about like slapping down what is in the eyes of SEC a security. In this instance, this is probably like maybe the accounting books were offered by a little bit. So the SEC might have some like thoughts about that and is probing the whole situation. So that's about it. But to uh, Adam's greater point, yeah, it's like a great time to be a Bitcoin miner. Uh, there's a lot of people making profit on the backs of what people thought was not possible. That was tokens on top of Bitcoin. Uh, I'll hand it up to Zach, who's been a little bit grumpy about the subject. Zach, are you disappointed in miners making too. money? Or? That's tokens what's happened with Zach lately. Tokens on Bitcoin. It's sad. It's sad. <laughs> Jimmy Song, he weeps. He weeps. He weeps. I have no further comments. I'm not going to talk about these Bitcoin coins. No, I got nothing. Is identifying and mitigating crypto risk a challenge? Do you need help balancing compliance issues with the need to protect against fraud? CypherTrace, a MasterCard company, can help. They work with banks, governments, regulators, exchanges, and other crypto entities to identify risk, trace the movement of crypto funds, and help comply with global regulations. Visit CypherTrace.com today for more information. We are talking about meme coins and crypto Twitter is upset. So Coinbase's most recent newsletter said that meme coins allow investors to make big profits in a short amount of time and warned of long-term investing in the tokens. The newsletter was referring to Pepe and Bitcoin-based meme coins. It also referred to the Pepe mascot and said that over time, it's been co-opted as a hate symbol by alt-right groups. Now, this comment sent crypto Twitter into a fury. Beeple even got into the conversation. I don't even know how he made this graphic so quickly, but there's the Coinbase logo and all the Pepe's attacking it. Uh, Will, I'm going to toss this one off to you. But before I do, I must mention that the Coinbase newsletter has a disclaimer that says um, opinions in the news newsletter don't necessarily reflect the company, which I think is kind of funny because it is a Coinbase newsletter. But Will, what do you got? No good deed goes unpunished. They're trying to tell people don't lose money on meme coins and then they get slapped around on crypto Twitter. The question I have is like a Venn diagram one, right? Like, so they're saying that the Pepe symbol is like not, or it is associated with these alt-right hate groups. And then like crypto Twitter was like, don't say that. We don't like this. That's because there's all like a lot of alt-right people on crypto Twitter. I don't know. It's just like my hot take. Uh, maybe that's why. <laughs> I mean, uh, crypto Twitter is a lot of anonymous people saying a lot of toxic, hateful things. So yeah, there's that. I do think that like this is like an internet symbol, right? And a lot of people do co-op things. Internet has a culture to it. And there's just like a diverse amount of people on there. And in Bitcoin and crypto entirely, we like censorship resistance. So there's going to be a lot of people who say a lot of distasteful things. And Coinbase kind of walked right into it. Probably should have just like left it out of the newsletter. I don't know. Zach? 
Internet publishing is all downside, all downside. No one is out here to praise these posts. They're only here to tear them to shreds. That's it. I feel so poorly for the poor content person at Coinbase who put this into the world. And now it's like, let's bash on Coinbase. It just hurts. It just hurts. Yeah, the Pepe phenomenon. I mean, Pepe and Wojak, they've been around for a long time and they've sort of gone through different associations over time. I saw Niraj, uh, Coin Center's chief uh, comms officer and, uh, and public face, was out there saying that you know, Pepe had been exonerated since its affiliation with some of these alt-right groups. I don't know if I saw the official exoneration of Pepe. I may have missed that one. But you know, Pepe means are just good, wholesome fun that pre-existed all that alt-right nastiness that became associated with it. So, I mean, I can see why Coinbase would feel so inclined to make that shout out. I mean, if you go back a couple of years, right, where uh, Brian Armstrong, Coinbase CEO, said Coinbase was not going to take a political stance on anything in the wake of, um, you know, many sort of social movements uh, rising up in the U.S., right? That was a big stink, right? So um, it's not as though Coinbase is sort of a bastion of, of Silicon Valley wokeness and that this was in there and that it's par for the course in terms of their messaging. So it's interesting that this is falling on their feet the way it is in the wake of some of those past comments from Brian Armstrong. But yeah, man, I mean, they're not wrong to warn people like not to get burned by the Pepe coin. They've seen this one. They've been in the cycles. We've all been in these cycles. The crash is coming. Watch out. Be safe out there. Have fun with it while you can. But, you know, the long-term investment prospects, probably not great. And you can look back to previous meme coins over the years and look at some of those examples. But I don't know. Adam, historical perspective. I'm, I'm tossing it to you. Yeah, I got a lot to say about this. I got a lot to say about this. Okay, so for, first off, uh, like when you look at a publication like this coming out of Coinbase, Coinbase is trying to generate organic, uh, you know, organic people looking at it and paying attention to it. But they have to walk a really thin line here between Coinbase can't tell their writers what to say, and their writers are probably people again who come from a journalistic background because that's what these big companies wind up hiring. And I mean, let's be real, like alt-right, right-wing, you know, influencer. There's so many dog whistles that, that exist out there today that basically are designed to tell audiences on the Democratic side of the table, don't pay any attention to this person. Everything they're saying is a lie. And you should just hate them because of that. Again, one of my favorite journalists, a couple of my favorite journalists, Glenn Greenwald, Matt Taibbi, you know, uh, um, I forget the guy, uh, Schellenstein, Schellenberger, Michael Schellenberger. Again, like these are all classic liberals who are now routinely described by, our, by outlets that are supposedly non-biased, you know, like Politico as like alt-right influencers. And like, you know, this is just, this is ridiculous. These are the people who, who brought us information, you know, in Glenn Greenwald's case about all of the government nonsense that was going on that was proven to be true. Again, like this was a liberal cause for so long. And so again, it's just to say that whenever you hear people talking about that, it's oftentimes really valuable to look at what's actually being said rather than just taking the you know, disclaimer of, oh, this person's on the right wing, which then means that you shouldn't pay attention to it. Okay, so moving past that, the Pepe thing, again, like we live in a world of memes. Memes are ideas that express things that are fundamental to who we are and to our experience as humans and often are very, very difficult to express with words, but can be expressed very easily you know, with, with a frog, right? There are literally tens of thousands of frog emojis out there based off of the Pepe meme that express every type of emotion that you can imagine. And there are tons of people out there, especially in the younger generations, who identify with these because it's easier to express these ideas as memes, even if it's just to express what I'm feeling right now. Again, like, you know, the Wojak thing, for example, like 
that's, you know, like a lot of times that's about being sad or it's about being happy behind a facade of being sad. Again, these are complex ideas that if you try to articulate them with words, don't go very well. But if you can articulate it with a simple animated GIF or something like that, then why wouldn't you? So again, like decentralized movements, which memes very much are, are always characterized by people who don't like them by the worst possible interpretation of the worst possible person who you can find who ever said anything that wasn't negative about the thing. So that remains true here today. And my final point is, is that meme coins are gambling. They are not investing. They are gambling. So this is the casino telling you, hey, you're gambling, but we're not going to call it that because that would be kind of weird because we don't have a license for you to gamble. So let's just say, don't think about this as a long-term investment and be careful, blink, you know? Jen, what do you got? I think we got to leave it there. Adam made three very great points. So Adam, you take us into the last segment. What about the ladies? Yeah, Thank the you for coming to my TED Talk. What about the ladies? What about okay, the ladies? We can talk about the ladies. No, it's, all right. it's okay. It's okay. Don't we can just say m'lady. M'lady. <laughs> On three. One, two, three. M'lady. M'lady. I don't participate. Okay, moving on. <laughs> moving on. Last story of the day. And finally, Coindesk has got an interesting op-ed out this morning authored by DJ Wendell. that's got me feeling a little bit of that old flashback acid trip feeling. It's titled Music Albums as an Asset Class and discusses at length some of the advantages that could be offered by, uh, with tokenized ownership of music. The big problem, of course, is that the way that we track, collect, govern, and pay who makes, uh, you know, and determine who makes money in the music industry is what can be charitably described as a confusing mess with well-intentioned laws written over the last few decades, um, you know, over many decades ago, frankly, skipping the last few eras of modern technology and effectively freezing much of the dysfunction in place, making it actually very difficult to solve these with technological uh, solutions. In the age of the internet, of course, the biggest advantage that would come from tokenization is simply that the music that you own wouldn't be owned explicitly on a platform like Apple or Amazon where you purchased it, and instead could really be the native kind of online equivalent of buying a CD, being able to lend it to other people if you want, and actually owning the thing rather than just having a license to it. I learned way too much about all of this back in 2016 when I spent about two years building out what would have been the first tokenized album platform that would have done exactly this, built on top of Bitcoin. Uh, I did not want to do an ICO, though, and so I did not launch it. I was too early at that moment, but maybe now is the right time. Jen, what was your take on this one? Well, I hosted a panel at Consensus that featured Franklin Templeton, like the very old investment firm, and Grammy Award-winning producer Andre Lyon from Cool and Dre. And he's created a platform called Lobus, and they're working with Franklin Templeton to add music as investable assets into these very traditional uh, investment portfolios. And so this story was really interesting to me. I think it is the future of music when you think about how artists have progressed, right? They're very entrepreneurial. They're very much um, running their own businesses so much more than they were before because of social media and because of all the things they have to do to create revenue, especially after COVID, when they lost, you know, the ability to do the number one thing that made the money, which is do live performances. And so I think this makes complete sense. The piece I really like is the tokenization of IP and the tokenization of different elements of a song. So if you think about a lot of the lawsuits we see in music right now, it's about, uh, it's about rights, right? Like, did you have the right to sample this song? Did you have the right to use this lyric or this riff in a certain way? If we're able to tokenize every element, that all goes away. We're able to see who's using what, and we're able to pay those people and accredit them for, for using it. So I think this is great all around. Adam, I'm with you. I think it is the future of music. Zach, 
All right, Koopa Troopa, let's log off. Let's do some bearish takes on music NFTs. I mean, we go to the conversation that we had at Consensus with uh, the, the representative from Warner Music, and she was kind of saying, like, are music NFTs enough of an innovation to be a better experience for most people than these streaming platforms? And I would say no, right? Like, most people just want to consume their music. They want to do their thing. It's easy peasy. I don't see that being unseated anytime soon. But I will say some of the stuff around fan engagement, around loyalty, around activating super vans around this stuff with like perks and stuff, that could potentially be something. But I don't really see that as necessarily like a music NFT conversation as opposed to just like a loyalty or like a membership NFT situation. I think that's where it gets interesting and where some of those direct consumer experiences could get improved. But like the tokenization of the actual music itself, like that seems distant and a remote possibility to me. But I did see your hand up, so I want the rebuttal. I don't think it's an alternative. I think there's a world where there are different use cases for different things. So I think that there is still going to be a place for streaming services. I think there's still going to be a place for record labels. That's what their representative from Warner Music was saying. That's why record labels are getting into it. But there is still definitely a use case for tokenizing the elements of these songs and giving like those like really unique experiences to fans. Act. So I just disagree with you and we'll be bullish about this forever. Will? That well, other world so. you're describing is the metaverse and it's down 90% year over year. <laughs> so I, just, I just don't see it. It will be back. It will be back. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Case closed. All right, that's it for the Music NFT conversation. Until next time. Thank you so much. You've been watching The Hash here on Coindesk TV. You're also probably listening to us on the Coindesk Podcast Network. That is awesome. Thank you for being there. Thanks for listening to us on the regular. I'm Zach Seward. That's Will Foxley, Jen Sanasi, Adam B. Levine. We're The Hash. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You go have a great day. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening 